How does Jesus explain the dangers of wealth? You know, most Americans are deadly, deathly afraid of germs. I mean, now you can't even use the hand dryers in bathrooms in public places because the air blows down, hits the floor that has 72.9% fecal matter contact. It blows it through the air, you ingest it, and your lungs are overwhelmed with possible, you know, uh, infectious uh, pathogens. Did you all know that? I mean, uh, so what you do is you put hand cleaner on your hands and blow it to kill all the germs so you can dry. I mean, it's unbelievable how, how cautious we are. I mean, uh, now they're placing uh, on chicken, uh, don't wash the chicken in your sink because chicken is so covered with E. coli that the E. coli will splatter all over the place. I mean, does anybody read the news? I mean, we are in an obsessive culture with germs, yet the most deadly pathogen for spiritual life is promoted by the majority of Christians. Materialism. Dream big. Have huge goals. Have financial. Most people, their goals center around finances. How long they're going to work before they can, you know, retire. And the ultimate is to retire and to play golf. To leave your local church when you're at your peak spiritually and abandon the Sunday school, abandon the fellowship, and move somewhere with a whole bunch of other people that have abandoned their fellowship and go play golf. Isn't that amazing? That's the American dream. If it's not golf, it's boating. If it's not boating, it's be out so far in the country or the wilderness. When that's a materialistic goal, it really is, if you think about it. So, what does Jesus say about it, not what do I say about it? And this is Christ's last words to his church. This is uh, the, the church at Laodicea. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to read, actually, Christ's words, which are the most powerful indictment of what happens when materialism replaces consecration and magnifying Christ and self-denial in a local church. And it became the church. Do you remember the first day? If you were here the first day, I talked about the two types of vomiting because we raised eight children. There's the, uh, and there's the, Jesus says, I want to projectile vomit every Christian who has materialism-induced spiritual blindness. And that's what we see. By the way, at the bottom, uh, there the, the YouTube channel, um, and, and here's a picture of it, uh, the if you would like to always know where we are in the world, all the ministries we serve at upload whatever I teach uh, within usually a week or so onto YouTube, and they just appear kind of like boom, boom, boom um, from wherever we are. It's amazing. The Internet's even faster overseas than it is in America. I think they're all fiber optic. Uh, but uh, a little plus on that is this little box that's in the back has the top you can see a few of them there, the, the, all of the uh, million-plus viewed Q&As. It's a um, ministry I do to teach people how to explain what they believe from the Bible. And I use this giant smart board. Uh, it's a marker board that's actually hooked to a Mac Mini. And you can just draw, and I talk to it actually sometimes because it gets frozen. I say, stop, stop, stop. But on this flash drive that, that is at the back, not only is there this whole conference, including a electronic copy and Kindle and everything else of the Christ's Last Words book, but the top questions from YouTube plus the women's series, Grace Energize Women, all of that's on here in both uh, video, audio, 
and printable text. I love it. We actually give these out to the uh, medical missionaries. And when Bonnie and I go to these conferences, I meet people from all over the world and they'll say, we live in northern China right on the edge of the Gobi Desert or wherever they are. And they say, as missionaries we gather and we feel like we're going you know, to church uh, systematically by using the flash drive because there's so much censored over there. So just something for you to think about. As we turn to uh, Revelation chapter three, I'm gonna start in verse 14, and we are going to look at Jesus' checkup on their spiritual health. And Jesus indicts this church for ingesting and getting intoxicated by the culture around them that drove them to live their lives for everything but what lasts forever. That was in there, but they were really focused on everything else. And it caused them to have materialism-induced spiritual blindness. And the way you know it is, you don't get anything out of the Bible. It's very hard to read the Bible. It's, you don't get anything out of church usually either, except you know, uh, critiquing it. But you don't ever get challenged, smitten, convicted, and hungry for the Word of God. That's what materialism-induced spiritual blindness does. So, chapter three, verse 14, for the last time, let's stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word, and let's ask the Lord to, to use these verses, maybe to start little incremental changes in our lives that will lead to us being able to invest more and more and more of our greatest treasures, our time, and those talents God gave us into eternity. Starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now look up from your Bibles. That's Jesus talking about Christians. Jesus? That's very negative. They would not invite him back <laughs> at most conferences. Would you go to a conference if the person speaking said, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're blind, you're poor? Jesus, this is in red letters if you have a red letter Bible. Wow, wow. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I am as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's bow. Father, give us ears to hear. 
Help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for not giving up on this church in Laodicea, but loving them and rebuking them and chastening them and calling them and all of us to repentance. Help us to remember no matter how many steps we take away from you, you love us so much that your arms are open and it's always just one step back. And I pray in whatever area that you convict us through your spirit about today that we would take that one step back. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated, I just wanna show you one thing in verse 18. Every one of these churches when I'm teaching uh, you know, in, in a Bible institute or a seminary or whatever, you, you, you go a whole half hour at least on the geographic historical background, kind of like uh, what you see on the chart there or the, the historical context. But just three quick things to, to see here. I counsel you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined in the fire. The city of Laodicea, if you visited there, if you went on a Perillo tour, you know, and, or one of those other, you know, Viking took a cruise boat to see this city, there are three things that would have impressed you in the first century. Number one, this was a gold mining and banking center. It was kind of like the Zurich of the ancient world. It was kind of like the Swiss secret numbered accounts. And, and the, the, the wealthy had their gold there and gold jewelry. It was like Ponte Vecchio, if you've ever been to... Uh, 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 Florence and gone to the Golden Bridge, you know, that has all the gold jewelry on it. It was, that was huge. So it's interesting. Jesus says, you guys are really into gold. But the gold you're into is going to be taken away from you. And you're going to suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ. But why don't you get gold from me? That's number one. It's fascinating how he, with every church, he zeroes in on a cultural geographic, historic, very contemporary part of their lives and applies it spiritually. See, that's what the goal of Bible exposition, when I worked for uh, many years with Dr. John MacArthur, he called it explanatory preaching. Uh, not like Ricky Ricardo, you got some splaining to do, but, but explanatory preaching is taking people from the 21st century back to the 1st century, showing them what God was doing, but bringing them back to the 21st century and showing them how they can apply what God said to their lives today. And Jesus was doing that in their moment. And then that's why it says, speak to the churches. The second thing that's fascinating, look at verse 18, it says, and white garments that you may be clothed. Laodicea in the first century was a very wealthy city. Of course, the Swiss, you know, numbered gold accounts, but that wasn't it. Uh, that wasn't only what made them wealthy. Secondly, it was a fashion center. It was kind of like Milan. It was kind of like, I don't know where the fashion headquarters is in the world, where, whether it's L.A. or New York. I don't know. But this was a trend-setting fashion center because they had something there. They had a unique type of wool. They had black sheep. You ever been called the black sheep of your family? I think I was a black sheep of my family. But uh, in fact, I hardly remember going to Sunday school growing up because when I would get into Sunday school, the teacher would look at me and say, go get in the corner. I'd say, why, what did I do? She says, I don't know, but you will do something. Go stand in the corner. So I had to listen with my nose in the corner to Sunday school because I was always causing troubles. So I probably was a black sheep. They had black sheep that made wool that was so soft that it was exquisite wool garments. 
If you know anything about living in stone buildings without central heating, and especially if you're wealthy, you just kind of wanted that comfort wrap. And these wool, black, sleek, very soft garments were very fashionable. And you find them all over the empire. They were shipping and making. So Jesus says, you guys are really into clothes? Why don't you get a white? I mean, you're into black. Why don't you get a white one from me? So that you may be clothed in the shame of your nakedness. Whoa, whoa, what's he talking about? That's a little allusion to later in the book. Did you know in Revelation 19 it says that at the, at the great second coming of Christ, the saints are going to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, to quote the scriptures. Do you know what the next part of the verse is? Which are the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I am clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but it happens to be invisible. Do you know what Jesus said that the saints are gonna visibly wear? A garment that reflects forever what they did for Christ on earth. Did you know it really matters? It really matters whether or not you live for the lakeside house and the golf course and the sports trophies and the hobbies and the being healthy and working out all the time or for Christ. Now, I think you can do both, but they're all secondary to him. And so Jesus said, you need to be clothed in what I offer you or you're going to be sad. Did you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 3? That Christ is going to wipe away all tears because there are going to be many that suffer loss. Why? Because all of our works on earth are going to go through a fire, Paul said. I used to love to go to Burger King when Whoppers used to be about this big. They're whimpers now. They used to be <laughs> big. And I love to go there because as I studied and taught the Word of God, every time I saw their flame-broiled chain system, you know, they used to put those giant patties on this little moving uh, chain grill, and they had real fire underneath, and, and one person with their hair bonnet on and their plastic gloves would be throwing the burgers on. At the other end of the conveyor belt, another one wearing their gloves would have the buns and they would hold them and that patty would drop on the bun. It was so fresh and it was still sizzling a little bit and they'd make it your way, you know. And, and I would go there and watch that process and see the fire burning up through the patties and think about, I'm on this side and all of my earthly life, I'm throwing on, you know, all of my life is going on that conveyor belt, and not a Burger King employee, but Jesus Christ himself is standing at the other end to see what precious parts of my life survived the fire where he examines whether or not I sought first his rule and direction and way in my life, and whatever's left falls off the other end. And that's what he says is my crown, my reward, uh, the righteous acts of the saints, which I get to honor him with that he prompted in my life. So Jesus talks about that, but he doesn't stop there. Here's the last one in verse 18. I'm glad I'm not doing this because it would take a long time, but I somehow got, I backed into going through the 18th verse, and it says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. In the ancient world, people, unless they were very, very wealthy, walked dusty roads or rode on public transportation on dusty roads because the Roman network 
went all the way from the coast of Britain where Claudius went with four legions and conquered Britain during the missionary journeys of Paul, all the way into what we would call the Middle East, across northern Africa, and all the way through the southern half of Europe. Roman roads, you could get a map, you knew how far it was between stations and inns and watering holes, and people traveled immensely, but it was hot, it was dusty, and the ancient world ophthalmologically had incredible problems with the dust in the eyes of people. And there were many, uh, which we see in India, which we see in a lot of the, the areas of the world in, in some infections. And so the amazing medical staff of Laodicea, I mean, they were already wealthy, they had their gold, they were already into fashion, they had their clothes. But there was, if you would have come into Laodicea in the first century, an amazing, kind of like the Mayo Clinic of back then. And there it was, only it was the ophthalmological where they would treat your eyes, or if you couldn't afford, you know, residency or inpatient, in-house patient work, you could buy their stuff. And they sold these salves that, that if you put them around your eyes, you would slowly, they had figured out how to uh, abate some of this infectious stuff, even before all of our antibiotic knowledge we have today. And so look what Jesus does. He zeroes in on the gold, he zeroes in on the clothes, and he zeroes in on the, the um, ophthalmological studies they'd done, and he says, why don't, you, why don't you anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see? And boy, that just resonated with the people. Okay, where are we? We're looking at seven churches. We're looking at the last one right now. Laodicea had, was spiritually blind and distracted. Why were they spiritually blind? Because Laodicea's self-induced blindness was abandoning Christ as their investment counselor. Now, I've met a couple of investment counselors, financial planners here. Jesus is the ultimate one. He said, if you invest with me, you get a 10,000% return. No one can take it from you, and, and it will be waiting for you in heaven. But he said, that's not what you're doing. You say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. In the ancient world, if I had my little marker board here, I would show you there were three types of people. There were impoverished, absolutely desperate poor people. And those poor people started their day with nothing. They would drag themselves out in the street. They would set up shop begging. They were beggars. You see them all over in the Gospels, beggars. They, they started the day hungry. They, they lived on whatever they got. They ended the day hungry, and that's how life was. So that's beggars. Then there were normal people. Normal people worked. And, and in the morning, they had enough food to eat and go out and work in the fields, and they had enough food so they could come home and there was dinner. But in the process, they had a little store, but it was just kind of like uh, they lived very close. That was the majority of people. Then there were the rich, and they were the ones that had stuff stacked. Do you remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, do not thesarizo. Now, you all heard of a thesaurus, right? It's where they stack words. When you want to look at all of the different words for something, they, they stack the words. It's kind of like the Amplified Bible that uses 10 words for every word in the verse. Thesarizo means that you stack things. And Jesus said, be careful your life is not surrounded by stacks. I remember the first time I encountered a stack. I was a new pastor, little foolish. 
went over to, I always go and visit people at their homes. Bonnie and I, we call it the 100 home campaign. The first year we were in 100 homes of the people in the church. I mean, when I was at Calvary, I think they had 900 homes. We only made it through 250 of the homes. But we always have done that. Oh, here I was, a brand new pastor, right out of seminary. We went to this home. They said, we'd like to show you our house. And they opened the door, which was larger than our entire apartment and the garage for the apartment. In fact, several apartments. And it was their bedroom. And I went, wow. This is great. They said, oh, that's not all. And they opened another door, which was bigger than our apartment and our garage, and it was just their closet, and it was just his, not hers. Hers was bigger. And I had never seen so many sweaters in my life. I mean, L.L. Bean doesn't even have that many. I mean, they were every color and tint. They were just going up. All of them were bagged. He'd had them done at the cleaners. But it was just not just sweaters. It was everything. It was just like, and I went, wow. I said, are you like in retail? That was the dummy part of me. That was his stuff he wore. I mean, and he changed it out by season. That's stacking. Really. Do you need 100 pairs of shoes? You want 100 pairs. Do you need 100 pairs? No. But see, when we have materialism-induced spiritual blindness, we think first of us, not the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, you're wealthy, you don't need anything, and you don't know that from my perspective, you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so I counsel you. See, Jesus said, I'm a financial planner. Buy for me gold refined in the fire. Wow. Hey, last November, Bonnie and I were teaching church history in the archaeological verification of the Bible in London, and we stopped over there. Does anybody recognize what that is? Downton Abbey, yeah. And that, actually, I went there because in the basement is the personal collection of Lord Carnivan who financed the King Tut, you know, Howard Carter finding it. And Carter gave him a lot of artifacts that never made it to any museum, and they're in the basement. So Bonnie and I went through that thing, hurried through all the Downton Abbey rooms so I could get to the basement and see the, the Egyptian display that is fabulous down there. But that's just... And, and we're standing right in the tree where they all go to town, you know, if you ever watch when they go into town and everything. It's really beautiful. It's really there. I, I would commend if you ever go to England, go there. It's just a little bit outside of London. But below there is what we're trying to get to. The eight dangers of too much stuff. Investment advice from the world's richest man. Solomon, more than any other person in history, had the world at his feet. People came from all over the world to see him, pay homage to him, give him gifts. He was unsurpassed in education and knowledge because the Lord blessed him and gave him his wish for wisdom. Nobody compared to the wisdom of Solomon before him or since. But Solomon was unstoppable and unbridled in his ability and desire to pursue pleasure. If he wanted something, he could have it. If he set out to discover, he discovered. But in the midst of that, he possessed uncountable wealth. If you read the scriptures, it said that silver, sterling silver, became like stones. How many of us gather up every stone we can find on the ground? Well, maybe only in Israel. You know, if you're at Caesarea or something, you want a piece of marble from Herod's palace. But most of us walk on stones and don't even pay attention to them. That's what silver became in 40 years of Solomon's reign. Uh, the scriptures tell us he had 
that David left him 5,000 tons of gold. That's 160 million ounces. Last time I checked, and I haven't looked, I mean, since November. But gold was at 1,300 an ounce. Have no idea if it's up or down today. But that means that Solomon, just from David, inherited $280 billion. Now, that's more than Rupert Murdoch sold, you know, to Fox, to Disney for. That's more than Gates, even before he gave away the foundation. That's more than Zuckerberg, whatever Facebook stock is at. Do you understand what I mean? By the way, this wasn't paper. This was literal gold. At that time, he had more than half the known mined gold in the world. I mean, the, the London Gold Council still keeps track of all the gold that's ever been mined. He had half of it. He literally owned half the world. Unbelievable. And that was just starters. That was just how he started his career. And that was just the gold. He also inherited 32 billion in loose change, silver. I, I mean, and then he got the whole country. Unbelievable. So the world's richest man says this. Now, remember, Solomon wrote three books under the inspiration of God. He wrote The Song of Solomon, and I wish I could teach on that. That is the most beautiful love story, and it's a picture of Christ's love for the church, but the short of it is Solomon owned so much stuff, and there was no Facebook or television, so people didn't know what he looked like. So to find a wife, he goes to one of his vineyards out in the country, which had a whole staff of people working there, and he actually looked like a commoner, goes in and starts clipping uh, the grapes across from this cute girl that he met and he spends, the whole book is about, I mean, it's really getting hot and heavy and she's just fainting because this is the most amazing man she ever met and when she thinks they're going to get married, he disappears. There, that's the book of Song of Solomon. You know what the last chapter is? She's all sad and everything but the supervisor says, hey, everybody shape up and clean everything up. The owner's coming. She said, who's the owner? The king of Israel owns this vineyard and he's coming today and all of a sudden in the distance this horde of chariots come in the dust and at the front is the magnificent royal chariot and wearing the full decked armor and the whole plume thing out comes the number one guy to inspect and he starts walking and all the people are like the Downton Abbey you know they're all standing like this because they work for the owner and they don't want to do anything wrong and all of a sudden the king comes right in front of one of the workers and he goes Hello. And she fearfully looks up and goes, you? That's the book of Song of Solomon. It's the most beautiful love story. So he wrote that when he was young. You ought to read it someday. It'll spice up your marriage. Uh, then he wrote, at the height of his wisdom, the book of Proverbs. That's a theology of living. Song of Solomon, theology of loving. Proverbs, living. Last book at the end of his life, the one we're looking at, a theology of life. It's big, it's the philosophy of life. And he talks about what's worth it and what's not. Number one, he said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. That's Ecclesiastes 5.10. You know what that means? The more stuff we accumulate, the more stuff we will want. It works. The more you get, the more you want. Before long, you have the, the iPhone 9, you want the iPhone 10. You got the iPhone 10, you want the iPhone X or something. I don't even know what number they're on these days. It's a dangerous, Psycho we get in. The more stuff we grasp onto, the less satisfied we become. L look what he says. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Have you ever noticed something? Solomon talks about that, that poor people are just happy to eat. And they just love it. They just chew it up and they eat it. But the rich people are never satisfied. Do you remember the emperors of Rome? They had to have things like hummingbird tongues. That was a regular fare 
for the emperors of Rome. They ate the tongues of hummingbirds. Why? Because poor people couldn't have them. They want exclusive stuff. Rich people are always looking for more restaurants. I mean, they, they want to go to the six-star Michelin-rated one, you know, where you have to have reservations three years in advance, and it costs $1,500, and all you get is a little plate with squirrelies on it and a hummingbird tongue or something. But it's, look, if you have abundance, increase, you're never satisfied. It's vanity, it's emptiness. Wow. You know, I was from the old school. When I was young, of course, my parents had nothing. We lived in a shoebox. But then when I got older, I thought, I'm going to make my mark and make money. And I got these wise, godly older men that says, no, 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 don't. It's, it's, you'll never be happy. They said, just have this principle. Have your, how does it go? It rhymes. If your uh, income exceeds your outflow, then your upkeep will be your downfall. You know, it's this little thing that you always spend less than you earn. So Bonnie and I started out, and we moved to California, and we lived in the basement of someone's house till we'd saved enough money for our apartment. And then we rented our first apartment as I was working at Grace Community Church, uh, and, and she worked downtown. And then when we had enough money, we bought our first couch. And it was from the Goodwill, and it was reconditioned, kind of like a reconditioned iMac. You know, it was, I don't know what they did to it, but we got it, we afforded it, and we were so proud of it. My parents came to visit, and they sat in the middle of the couch, and both cushions went up like this, <laughs> like wings. I don't, they shrunk it or something, and so we called it our flying couch because the, you had to sit completely on all of the cushions or they just popped up. It was really funny. But we had crates from behind the supermarket as coffee tables, and, and we slept with blocks and wood until we could afford, you know. It was fun. And we never, what we did is, we started, we started at giving 10% to the Lord, then the next month we gave 11, then the next month we gave 12, then the next month we gave 13, and we found out how much we could give to the Lord until you have to do that, could you hold the check I don't quite have enough money in the bank. And I thought, that's not a good testimony, so you got to notch it down until you can pay all your bills. But most people don't live that way. Most people leverage with debt to buy the biggest, the grandest, the larger, move up the hill. I'll tell you what, doesn't matter what they do, they'll never be satisfied. The more stuff we own, the more stuff everyone tries to get from us. Have you ever noticed that? The more money you have, the more friends you have. Everybody's coming around. Hey, do you have any? Can I borrow your boat? Can I use your house? Can I? And, and we don't want anybody to take all that stuff. So security systems, security systems. You know what the three curses of America are? Comfort, convenience, and security. People live for comfort. If it's not comfortable, they're not interested. Convenience, if you can't find a parking place right in front, I don't want to go there. I'll go somewhere else. If they don't have takeout, takeaway, and it's instant, I'm not. It's got to be convenient and security. And I'll tell you what, serving God is not comfortable, convenient, or secure. It's amazing. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Lesson four, the more stuff we pile up, the less of it we can really use. It reminds me of, uh, uh, you've heard of the founder of Methodism, you know, Charles Wesley, and Charles Wesley was a national figure in Britain in the, the uh, 1700s, and as he traveled the country, many wealthy people got saved, and they were so excited to have him over, and one time he went to the Downton Abbey of his day, who was a godly believer, and the man invited him to his house. He got there for dinner, and the man said, can you stay uh, three days, and Wesley said, I'm here, you know, I'm here to visit you, and the guy says, good. Tomorrow morning, we're gonna go see my 
estate. And they got up after breakfast, and he, Wesley noticed they packed this big hamper, and they had servants following them, and they rode two horses all day long, stopped for a lunch, and came back for dinner. And the man said, that's the first corner. It's the northwest corner of my estate, an entire day's horseback ride. They had dinner, got up the next morning, another hamper, another servants, and they went and did the northeast to the southeast. Came back to dinner. Next morning set out, and they did the last lap. Three days of riding to see the estate. And at the end, at dinner, the last night, the man says, Mr. Wesley, what do you think of my estate? It takes three days to ride on horseback all the way around it. And Wesley famously said, what do I think? I think you're going to have a hard time leaving all this behind. You see, as, as many have said, when we get saved, we're going the wrong direction. We're going toward destruction. When we get saved, Christ turns us around. Repentance is a change of, of mind that leads to a change of behavior. And when we start heading toward heaven, we're supposed to consider ourselves pilgrims and strangers on earth, and all that is temporary. We're going toward what's permanent. But Curiously, in our generation, most people get saved with a tractor beam, and they're still headed this way, and the Lord's tugging them, and they're still headed the, the broad way toward destruction and materialism, and the Lord keeps pulling them back. And those people don't want to talk about heaven because heaven to them is loss. This is gain. That's where America is today. Most kids, they're not thinking of where to go to school to most impact people for the Lord. They're thinking of where to go to school to get the highest income. And they learned you make 280000 280, starting at Google. They want to be a Google engineer. You know what I mean? I mean, shape up, be smart, get the best job you can, earn as much money. Even though money is deadly, it's worse than the fecal matter off the floor of the public restrooms. It destroys your soul. Nobody tells them that. The more stuff we build up, the more stuff we worry about. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich won't permit him to sleep. Once I was a butler for a neurosurgeon, a godly neurosurgeon. I mean, this guy in the 70s earned 3000 a half hour. Now, that's as good as some of you here, I bet, you know? 3000 a half hour. They flew him in private jets when professional athletes, you know, had any kind of problem, or, or the big and the rich and the famous, they would jet him in, and he had skilled fingers. He was very gifted. He was very wealthy. I was their butler. He lived where I went to seminary. In fact, when I dated Bonnie, to show off to her, I drove a different one of his cars every night, taking her on a date. He had eight, a garage with eight stalls. He had eight cars, and I took the, the slung low, sports car. By the way, my car was a Caprice that had rusted through, that had rubber mats because when you went through mud puddles, it came up inside the car and splashed you. So I had these big rubber mats. So that was my car. You couldn't even open the doors. They, they went, you know, creaked, and boy, it was even harder to shut them. So I didn't want to embarrass Bonnie and have her think I was a poor preacher. So I had this unbelievable sports car the first night. The next night, I took the stretch. Boy, that's impressive, you know, with four doors, and, and I, was, I drove her and let her in. And the next night, I took the big off-road, big tire one that you go up a ladder, you know. Then the next night, I took the, one of the Mercedes 550, you know, with the heated everythings and the leather that just soothed you and everything. And I went right through all eight cars on our ninth date. I opened my door. I said, watch out, the mat is over holes. I don't want you to. And I said, I'm so sorry you have to ride in this car. 
Bonnie said, why is it different than the other nights? She had been totally unimpressed with all the limousines I'd taken her in. That's the kind of woman to marry. It really is. They're not into stuff. Because the more stuff you have, the more you worry about it. Well, that doctor, I would sit at dinner with him. We'd go out to a restaurant, and they had so much stuff that his wife would say, did you turn on the burglar alarm? He'd say, no, you were supposed to turn it on. And at the same time, they'd drop their fork and knife, and they'd race home in their matching Mercedes 550s to turn the burglar alarm on because they had so much stuff. The more stuff, the more we worry about it. Amazing. The more stuff we hold tightly to, the more we get injured holding on to it. This is what Solomon said. There's a severe evil which I've seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to hurt. I've done over 300 funerals. Over 300. Over 300 weddings, too. Funerals are amazing. They're two kinds. Glorious celebrations of a life. That's the good ones. Fighting over the stuff. That's the sad ones. Here I am talking to the bereaved widow and saying, uh, what was the, your dear husband's mine? He promised it to me. No, it is not. The dresser is mine. Well, I get the, and, and they're fighting over the stuff. The more stuff we hold tightly to, the more we get injured from holding on to it. Remember what C.T. Studd, the great missionary, said? When his daughters came around him, knew that he was dying, he said, I wish I had something to give you, but I gave it to the Lord long ago. Wow. You know what our goal is now? Have as much as possible, keep it to the end, pass it on to our kids, maybe they'll have more. Infect them with materialism right from the beginning. You understand what I mean? Wow. Number seven, the more stuff we keep, the more stuff we can lose. That's amazing. William Borden, the heir to the Borden dairy farm fortune, gave away his fortune. He wrote in his Bible, no reserves, no retreats, and when he died of viral meningitis or whatever he died of, he wrote no regrets. Why? As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he'll never lose. Wow. The more stuff we keep, the more we can lose it. Here's the last one. The more stuff we clutch, the more stuff we must leave behind. As he who begets a son, verse 15, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing of his labors, which he may carry away in his hand. When Bonnie and I were driving between here and New York to see her family, we were cutting across upstate New York, and as we cut across upstate New York, I was driving along, and I glanced, and I saw something. It just is like a flash. You see it, and you drive on. I said, honey, you know what I just saw? I said, I saw like a, a 1940 house, wasn't very well maintained. I said, the whole driveway had tables with cloths over them. I said, there was this gigantic pile of stuff right here by the road. But I said, what was really neat was there was a U-Haul, and I could see them carefully carrying stuff, you know, that was all wrapped up, putting it in. Do you know what that was? Grandma or grandpa or mom and dad died. Most of their stuff was trash. Some of it we're going to sell and get stuff for. It was a garage sale. The treasures we're going to take. You know, and that's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. And my parents died and left wonderful stuff and us kids split it up. That's normal. But the more stuff we clutch, the more we must leave behind. If we don't give the title deed of our stuff to the Lord, then our whole life, everything we acquired, everything that we live for, everything we sacrifice for and work those long hours for ends. And we basically wasted 
our life. You ever read John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life book? Wow. See, that's what life's about. Well, Jesus adds to this, and I'm just, we only have six minutes, but the dangers of wealth according to Jesus. Number one, wealth exchanges the eternal for what's only temporary. The young people that could be mastering the scripture are mastering everything else. They're spending their whole life on the temporary. That's what I challenge them. See, you all are just, um, you know, you're, you're already well exposed. I love this next generation of being out there in other parts of the world and saying, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't live for materialism. And there's a whole generation I would like to share with you, praise God, of young people that are saying, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life strategically living in places. That's what these medical missionaries are. They're walking away from their careers here and the security and the comfort, and they're moving to where one woman told me it takes all day long just to do food. There's no refrigeration, and a, a pickup truck in this sub-Sahara country comes with a whole carcass of an animal, and you hope they come early in the day because the further it goes, the more flies are on it, and they whack off a piece and throw it in your yard, and it's hide and hair and bone chips and dirt, and she has to wash it with water that has to be boiled because of all the color and everything in the water, and then she has to cut it off and boil it on her little cook stove, and they live in a mud hut, and why does she do that? Because they have decided they're going to bring the gospel to tribal groups in Muslim sub-Sahara countries. And a lot of us say, boy, I'm glad they do that. I would never do that. Hmm? It's only for those that are called to do it. But let me ask you, does the Lord give rewards in heaven for who has the most beautiful Instagram photos posted and Pinterest pins pinned and has a better home and garden than everybody else? Does the Lord reward that? No. Does he reward people that pick, hide out of their meat so that they can live to reach an unreached people group? He certainly does. See, that's, don't exchange the eternal for what's only temporary, Jesus said. Wealth robs us of faith. Remember, the Lord says, you're rich, increased in goodness, you don't need anything. You don't need me. We're supposed to depend on the Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. We, we don't need him. Thirdly, wealth makes, us, makes death a loss. It makes us backing toward heaven instead of expectantly going. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's why so many people have trouble getting their heart into this, because their treasures are here. And all their goals are financial and material, and, and it's all about here. And they have their tent stakes pounded as deep as they can get. And so as they're getting ready to die, their friends are helping them, and it's very painful to pull those stakes out because they've lived for here instead of there. Jesus also said in Matthew 13, 22, uh, wealth chokes God's word out of your life. Now he who received the seed among the thorns, who hears the word, cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and his life is unfruitful. Wealth chokes the word. Jesus said, be careful. Don't choke the word. Number five, wealth is a cruel taskmaster. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in riches. Yet most people in Western culture try. They want both, and they're torn all through life. Jesus also said, wealth makes it harder to get to heaven. Wow. A rich man runs up to Jesus wanting to know how to be saved. Jesus tells him, 
Now you don't share the gospel. We don't share the gospel this way. Do you remember what Jesus said? Sell all you have, give away the poor, and you'll have riches in heaven. The guy said, no way, and walks away. He rejected Christ because he couldn't imagine giving all that stuff up. Jesus says, wealth makes it harder to get to heaven. You get overseas, you get with poor people, they receive the Lord gladly. They can't get enough church. I mean, they wear me out. Bonnie and I speak at conferences. We just spoke at one, and it started at nine in the morning, eight in the, right after breakfast, whenever breakfast was over. We went an hour. They had 10-minute little coffee potty break. Another hour, 10-minute coffee potty break. Another hour, then lunch. Another hour. And I said, how long is this going? Thankfully, they didn't have lights, you know. Uh, it would have gone all night. But in Bonnie's sessions, they kept talking in their language and pushing the, the little podium she was teaching at, they kept pushing it. And she said to me, I don't know why, every session they're pushing my podium away from them. And then they come closer to me. And finally she asked one of them, and they said, well, we're pushing you up by the window so there's enough light so you can go until the last minute. We don't want to miss anything. That's how you are at church, right? Telling the pastor, go another hour. <laughs> oh boy, we can't wait, you know? No. I meet people that need a chiropractor. They're doing this so much. You know, they, they, they look down every minute to see if it's really, you're still talking? Hmm. Number seven, when wealth leaves God out of the conversation, it's very dangerous. Do you remember the rich man that said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry? And Jesus said, you have forgotten one thing tonight, your soul is going to have to give an account for what you've done with your life. See, don't leave God out of the equation. Um, Jesus reminds us the symptoms of being poisoned by radioactive materialism is discontentment, insecurity, and death looks like a loss. Do you feel discontent? Do you want a better home and garden? Do you always want to upgrade everything? Are you hoping to get a better house up the hill? better view, closer to the water. Nothing wrong with the water. You can enjoy it just as much as someone else pays the taxes, and you don't. You know, you can enjoy it just as much. Insecurity, anxiety. If you feel like heaven is a loss because you're leaving everything behind, you've been poisoned by materialism. And Jesus said, no matter how many steps we've taken away from his his plan, no matter how far we go toward the world, it's always one step back, repent. Let's bow forward a prayer. Father, I thank you for the church in Laodicea that you so compassionately sent your son to visit and sent them this very, very true, honest assessment of their materialism-induced spiritual blindness and thank you that at the end you said, if you have ears to hear, repent. I'm knocking at the door. I want to come in and eat with you. I want, I want to get back to the joy that you used to have when you were first saved. And I'm not going to hold this against you. Repent. Come back today. Don't waste any more of your life. I pray that that would be what we hear in our lives for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Have good coffee time.